If we look at verses 12 and 13 in chapter 4, which is our text today, we see that it says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and, and spirit joints and marrow. It, it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is, is hidden from him, but, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. Hebrews reads like a sermon, I believe. And the section leading to these verses that we just looked at, 12 and 13 in chapter 4, the section leading up to this, it, it asks of the reader, it asks of the hearer to hear the voice of God today. And the writer of Hebrews does this by looking back at Psalm 95. If you look with me at chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, Psalm 95 is called upon here. The text reads, today, if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts and they they've known not my ways. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. The writer of Hebrews likens entering the promised land to rest. We looked at this last week when we finished up in Deuteronomy. Well, all four of the past four weeks, we looked at this wilderness theme and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and the circumstances that led them there and kept them there. They wandered with hardened hearts too often. They were, well, they were there and they were restless. Do you want to be restless all the time, church? Do you feel that way this morning? Or do you want rest? It was church father Augustine or Augustine, however you say it. He said this, you've made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And we talked last week about being at the mountain, right? If you were here or, or heard the sermon. We talked about being at the mountain, and we talked about being at the mountain long enough. At least that was Moses' contention for the Israelites. And it was time to get going. And I hope you considered that this week, that it might be time for us to, to get going. Well, let me ask you this morning, what if our getting going actually looked like more rest? sounds ironic, but I, I think it can be right. Does it sound nice for it to sound like more rest? The rest that comes from hearing God's voice and, and upon hearing God's voice, then doing God's will for our lives. If that sounds good to you, then you need a Bible. Doesn't everyone have a Bible at their house, Brandon? Or 30 Bibles? No, they don't. Actually, they don't. Nashville is changing. 
We cannot take it for granted that people have one. And we really can't take it for granted that those that do actually read it. I know, I know, we don't have very much time, do we? We'll talk more about that next week. But it's true. There's, there's more competition than ever in the history of the world, I bet, that for, for time from us to actually sit and, and read anything specific. But we do have time. Well, maybe you don't like how God comes across in the Old Testament in certain passages. You know what? I agree. There are some really difficult passages. You know, we have to, we, we do have to approach the Bible knowing uh, that fully understanding God's ways are still out of our grasp, fully understanding them. We, but, but we can learn more. We really can. And, and then we can learn even more about who God is and about what God is like. We can. We actually must, because to do so gives us rest, rest that we so desperately need and and rest that whether or not we realize it, we, we want. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse nine says, how can a young man keep his way pure? That applies to young women as well. By keeping your word. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, I I read Psalm 1 weekly. Maybe you know it. How happy is the one who who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or or sit in the company of mockers. And instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams. That bears its fruit that Nathan so beautifully prayed over Atticus. Fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, the Bible is not solely for informational purposes, it is not first for information. It's for transformation. And, and the truth is, many of us, including me at times, are hampered and confused in our lives with God and with each other. We're confused because of ignorance about what is true. Or even worse, we're in bondage to, to false, incomplete teaching. It's a delicate thing to handle the Bible. I don't believe it is to be used outside of community, if at all possible. We help one another to understand it. I, I've, before the pandemic, I, I was able to go to Haiti a lot. I was working very closely with a, a startup school down there called the Joseph School with my good friend Jim Bryson. Um, circumstances are such in Haiti that travel there is extremely limited and quite dangerous now, but the school continues on. And and during my time there, I spent a lot of time with, with churches and church leaders in and around the area where the Joseph school, uh, was and ultimately ended up. 
And I was saddened often by the lack of resources they had at their disposal, honestly. One church in a particularly remote part of the country was functioning only as it seemed by hearing regurgitated sermons the pastor was able to hear or get on compact disc. You probably don't even know what those are, kids. Called CDs. Google it. From somewhere in the U.S. delivered by a preacher who was spewing prosperity gospel jargon. Very few of the people in this community had access to a Bible and even fewer were able or had the tools to to use it well. Now, make no mistake, God is in Haiti and active in Haiti. And that illustration is by no means to imply that we are so much better evolved here than our friends there. We are often just as spiritually and scripturally illiterate. Only our bookshelves are filled. The purpose of studying God's word is not doctrinal purity first. Although getting doctrine right or more right along the way is a very good thing. But inner transformation, inner transformation is the central purpose to studying God's word. That's the goal. We're not to become more right or more righteous. We're to become more like Christ. Following and being formed by Jesus is what we like to say around here. He is who is righteous. When you come to faith in Christ, I think of JP's baptism last week and all that that encapsulated for us as a church and for him as a, as a new believer. You're, you're as righteous as you will ever be. Do you know that, church? You can't become more righteous. It's Christ who imparts that righteousness into us. We can learn more about Jesus. Scripture does that for us. We can learn more about each other. But we can't become more righteous. We're to become more like Christ. The writer of Hebrews started, we started with this. Look at chapter one, verses one through three. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and, and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. As you interact with scripture, as as you read it for understanding, as you interpret what its rather ancientness might have to say for our modern lives, we must keep in mind, we must know that God is not so much telling us something or things. Rather, God is revealing God's self to us. Human authors composed the words we have on our pages. God inspired them. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, a passage you may be very familiar with. It often comes up in sermons or lessons about why the Bible is so important. But Paul said this, all scripture is inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that the man or woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Inspired means God 
breathed. God breathed the scriptures. The word of God is alive. It does CPR on us with its God breath as we interact with it. This is not a bunch of facts or even a bunch of truths, although it is. This is not a book to be found in the self-help section of the bookstore. Eugene Peterson says it like this. Don't miss this. The Bible is revelation, personally revealed by God, letting us in on something, telling us person to person what it means to live our lives as women and men created in the image of God. So let's go back to our to chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living. It's effective. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It, it's penetrating as, as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and, and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Folks, the word of God, it cuts right through us it, it, all the way. It, it reads us. It is able to judge us to the core. When we encounter God here in Scripture, we are challenged We are taught, we are corrected, we're rebuked, we're trained, and we are, yes, encouraged. It cuts through us to the core. There is nothing that it doesn't touch. Now, what about it being effective, living, as the text says? God's word is alive. Many have said it is simply a recording. It's it's, uh, whether first in oral tradition and then becoming written tradition, a recording whereas God would have revealed things to us in other ways. And then scripture comes about as just people recording those things that have been revealed so that we don't forget it. Well, that's not what the Bible is. God can reveal God's self in whichever way God chooses, but the Bible is the primary way, I believe. And thanks to recorders like the writer of Hebrews and many others, the church has long stuck with this belief about the Bible as well. Again, challenging our thinking is important. Challenging any thinking we may have in us and in the ethos of our community here at Harpeth Heights, that the Bible exists simply to communicate information about God. We must challenge that. We need to disabuse ourselves of this anemic understanding of what the Bible is. The Bible is full of information, but its role in our lives as those following and being formed by Jesus is much more offering energy for the task to which God is calling us to. For the Bible to be God-breathed, God-inspired, we are saying, we are believing and living out that the Holy Spirit is literally at work through these pages. I don't cook, but I like to eat. And the Bible is a lot less like a cookbook where you can pull it off the shelf and follow the directions and in a certain amount of time you'll have a meal prepared. The Bible is much more like the farmer who tends to the land to grow the food, the harvesters that get the food from the field into the kitchen, the sous chef who helps prepare it wonderfully. And the point of the meal is much, much more than sustenance. It is to be good. It is to be enjoyed because the meal is new creation. It's not just navigating through old creation without messing up. 
church, there is so much more for us than that. That we just grip whatever we can grab onto and dig our heels in and bide our time until Jesus returns. I, I, I love what Oksana said during the prayer time. We can't be like that. It's an anemic understanding of what God has called us to. And it renders us not participating in the kingdom that is at hand, that is coming. God breathes into us precisely so that we can be formed into the very people doing God's work in the world to make God's world the kingdom more as it was intended to be, to build for that kingdom. Look at verse 13. We better do it because we're, it's going to be obvious if we don't, because no creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's so interesting here. That last word in this section, the account in verse 13 is, is logos. It's the same word, but it's a play on words. It's the same word that verse 12 begins with. The word of God, logos, Greek word logos. Account at the end is logos. It's a play on words. God who gives us God's word demands a word back from us. God demands an account of our doing. God, God demands a word of trust from us. And I, and I think that the writer of Hebrews lets us in on what this looks like a little bit later in chapter 13, verse 6. Says the Lord is my helper, I, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Now just look, look at that. Does that does that denote trust? Yes, it does. It also denotes rest when we can confidently say that and live it out. This declaration, this, this word of trust, it betrays rest, that we have entered into God's rest. Even, even though we are naked and exposed to Almighty God, God loves us and breathes God's word into us so we can be formed into the very people doing God's work in the world to make God's world more as it was intended, more as it was intended to be. We need a bigger, more complete vision for what God's word is in our lives and what it can be to have such will give us rest. And that's what we're going to spend the next three weeks imagining together a bigger, more robust, more complete vision for what God's word is in our lives. If you're restless, pay attention. This is where we find rest ease peace, a deep breath that fills your lungs, that satisfies, that allows you to move forward with confidence together. I recall a story of a man who came across three masons, perhaps you've heard this story, who were working at chipping chunks of granite from large blocks. And the first mason seemed really unhappy at his job chipping away at the block, looking frequently at his watch. And when the man who happened upon them asked him what he was doing, the first mason responded rather curtly, I'm hammering this stupid rock. 
And I can't wait until five o'clock when I get to go home. A second mason, seemingly more interested in his work, was hammering diligently. And when asked what it was that he was doing, he answered, well, I'm molding this block of rock so that it can be used with others to construct a wall. It's not bad work, but I'll sure be glad when I'm done for the day. The third mason was hammering at his block fervently, taking time to stand back and actually admire his work. He chipped off small pieces until he was satisfied that it was the best that he could do. And when he was questioned about his work, he stopped and he gazed skyward and proudly proclaimed, I'm building a cathedral. Daily, time in the word, which you have time for. Me too. God's very breath. God is building a cathedral. It's called the kingdom of God. And you're part of that, church. You are absolutely part of that. So let's open our Bibles together. Let's uh, imagine that God can do even more, as the writer of Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 3, than we could ask or ever imagine. Next week, we will look together at how these pages and the words on them are actually Jesus, as John 1 proclaims. So I ask you, church, what have you done about Jesus? Have you considered his place in your life? Do you know him? I don't ask you that enough. I assume that if you wandered in here with all the other options you have on a Sunday morning, that you already know him. But that is a pathetic assumption. So may I remind you that the greatest decision we could ever make in our lives would be to drop everything and follow him. If you've never done that, you can. I pray that you would. Just come see me or any friendly face you see after, after worship. There's a lot of friendly faces here. Your life will never be the same. I learned that in the Bible. Let's pray.